Hello, this is Corey Alston. I'm a sweetgrass weaver from Charleston, South Carolina. I'm a member of the Gullah culture, keeping my heritage alive as best as I can. And I'm on Cut the Craft. I can't believe that we went to the same elementary school that like made my day. Yeah, man, we grew up in the same hood, man. Right down Long Point Road. That's about as cool as it gets. I know. Wait, did you guys have the same teachers too? We didn't speak of teachers. We definitely spoke about, you know, our hangout spots. You know, we spoke, we hung under that Waffle House, you know? Yes. Um, And so I spent many days there for dinner, you know, (laughs) after after hours. We, We would go there after the football games or whatever. But that oh, Waffle no. House was the uh, that was that that was the spot. Well, it's still there, right? Oh yeah, it's still there. No, but yeah. it's just not quite the spot. <laughs> nah, it's just you know we grew up a little bit, so now we we go to IHOP now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. yes, that's awesome. <laughs> Welcome oh, to man. Cut the Craft, everybody. I'm Brian, and I'm Amy, and I'm Corey. Yeah, yes, I'm so excited. Appreciate yeah. y'all, man. Super excited. Oh my gosh. So Corey, will will you uh, walk us through what you make in your process? I'm once again, Charleston, South Carolina, right here on the coast of Carolina. Um, as my city is known for, you know, it's, it's history of enslavement. It also brought in the culture of the Gullah people. And so as that Gullah people were brought here, they also brought skills and and lifestyles that still remain. Um, I weave sweetgrass baskets. Uh, that art form was actually a necessity of that time of enslavement because it was more used as utilitarian purposes as the enslaved would have made these style baskets for different jobs he and she were given. So I'm assuming then that means like a lot of the, you know, those sh- different shapes that you see are, you know, were made for like specific purposes. Correct. Correct. So a lot of the styles were, uh, you know, based on function. Now, today of the 21st century, we're keeping the art alive generationally. But at the same time, we're becoming a whole lot more artistic, mm-hmm. uh, becoming more decorative in the art as far as evolving from that time of only function based on the simpler styles to get the job done to now uh, keeping the art alive and becoming more artistic. Cool. What kind of baskets are, were you making uh, as far as like um, just utilitarian? Were they like rice? Did they have anything to do with the rice or anything else with uh, Gullah culture? Correct. Correct. So you mean what I'm doing today or what was done in the yeah. past? Well, maybe both. I'm interested in both. Yeah. Okay, so let's speak on the past. So in the past, um, you can visualize, you know, the 16, 17, 1800s. These pieces that were woven by my ancestors were more used for storage bins. Uh, uh, you, you would have it, you know, for, for gathering grains, putting grains, uh, rices, beans, uh, you know, uh, sugars, you know, basically with lids. Then you also have harvesting style baskets, things you slide on your arm and gather, you know, your fruits, your vegetables, your fish. Uh, then you have the fanning style baskets, and that was more used as a mat, you know, so you can sit something on it on a table. You can use it for winnowing. Um, and then also it would be used for as a transporter's piece. Transporter baskets were used on the heads to transport, you know, goods from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And so every basket of yesterday was woven for some type of agricultural purpose. 
Um, there was necessities as they were used. As we move forward into the 21st century, we're making more uh, uh, of a bread basket, more of a fruit bowl, uh, more mm. something for keys, change, candies, jewelry, um, something that, that is definitely considered 100% more decorative than it was uh, utilitarian. Um, in my career, I've made more designer style pieces than I have the average working style piece. Mm. And so um, the average piece today that we're making that we have on, on inventory ready to purchase would be a bread basket, a fruit bowl. Um, traditionally, we're still making the rice fanning basket. And the reason is because its purpose. Its purpose is our biggest part of the history as the low mm. country of Carolina is known for uh, Carolina gold rice as that mm -hmm. Carolina gold rice was the number one trading supplement of that time. Mm -hmm. You couldn't have the, uh, that trading and bartering tool without the, the West African being enslaved. So as mm -hmm. the West African was enslaved, he and she also had the know-how of growing that long grain rice. That long grain rice had a golden tint. Not only that they grew that rice, but then they also came with the skill of cleaning the rice. And so the cleaning of that rice is once again known as a winnowing or fanning of the rice that, that separated the, the shaft from the grains itself. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was a lot to say of that time that we don't really read about or hear about. Um, there was a lot that the enslaved brought to the area, the know-how, the, the, the education level, the, the, uh, the, the, the means of helping the, the Europeans with cash cropping. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I can go on and on and on on what they, you know, brought to the table. Uh, but what we're doing today is keeping those traditions alive based off of uh, old skill. The sweetgrass mm -hmm. basket weaving now today is known as the South Carolina state handcraft. Yeah, man. I just, can you share, why is it important to you personally? Like why, why did you grow up doing it? Why, why do you, why do you find it so important? Um, I, fi I find that heritage is important. I find mm -hmm. that cultures are important. Um, mm -hmm. As me being an art, a vendor of the Charleston City Market, you know, going on, uh, gee whiz, was that 17, 18 years now? Oh, I'm wow. fascinated okay. by, by ethnic cultures. I love all ethnicities. It's just to me, you know, to see an Ir Irish family or to see a, a family from, from, from India or to see a family from South America, you know, and, mm -hmm. and they have embraced their culture based off of their, their, their clothing or, 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 you know, if I see the family that's, you know, maybe having a dinner somewhere, or if I do something on national geographic and that family is being united as one in a way of heritage, that to me, this does it. And so I cannot love other heritages without loving my own. My heritage mm -hmm. is unique as well. And so with us being coastal, co coastal people, my my stretch of my community stretches from Jacksonville, Florida up to Jacksonville, North Carolina. And so with that coastal community, 30 miles inland, is labeled as the Gullah Geechee Corridor. And within that corridor, we all have our own little trades, techniques, and, and, and whatnot that makes us one people. So if you visualize coming up from Jacksonville, Florida, rolling into Brunswick, Georgia, you know, Sapelo Island, uh, uh, Edisto Island, um, Seabrook Island. I'm coming all the way up. James Island, Johns Island, Mount Pleasant, you know, Georgetown, Little River, Myrtle Beach, Wilmington to Jacksonville, North Carolina. 
those areas have kept this culture alive more than anywhere else in America as far as the English African blended lifestyle. So we're we're Gullah because we're blended with Englishmen with an African heritage, an African footprint. Um, I always make sure I try to make sure people get a clear understanding of what makes my culture so unique. I am Gullah because of the Englishmen that were enslaved, the Africans as they were brought in. So based on that English African lifestyle is known as Gullah, very similar to being in the Caribbean. If you was enslaved by Spaniards, you have be more of a Patois lifestyle. If you was enslaved by the Frenchmen of the Bayou, you'll be more known as Creole. If you was enslaved by uh, a Portuguese up in Boston, you're being more known as Cape Verdeans. So America has four major blends of America based off of the enslaver and the Africans that they enslaved. And so uh, to me, I'm so proud to be a part of my culture because not only that I can say I'm Gullah, I can also say I know exactly where my ancestry came from. Came from the, the coast of Sierra Leone, on the Ivory Coast area, uh, being brought here to the low country of Carolina because of the rice cultivation. Um, to me, that's even more profound than saying I'm from Atlanta and I'm just black. Hmm. You know, it, it's it's a whole big difference than than saying I live in, you know, I live in Houston, Texas. I'm black. No, I'm Corey Austin from Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm Gullah. That mm -hmm. has a bigger meaning to me, a bigger understanding is not because I chose to be Gullah. I'm born into it. Mm hmm. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I really, I love what you said too about how one of the best ways to love other cultures is to also, you know, learn to embrace parts of your own. And so, correct, correct. So for you is uh, then kind of tying that back, weaving that back into uh, basket making. <laughs> mm -hmm. Would you, would you say then that you know, sweet grass baskets for you are sort of like a just a really strong physical symbol and tie to that culture then. Yes, sir. I sure would. It's cool. it's a way of if it's, it's a way of keeping the practice. You know, um, I'm practicing my culture without even putting thought towards it, because my career is my culture. My career is speaking on what makes my culture so unique. My career is based off of weaving together all those missing understanding, mis those missing stories for those that are wondering. You know, what makes Gullah so unique? And so I can't tell them about sweetgrass basket weaving and forget about everything else, you know? So it's it's a continuous uh, uh, growth. It's a continuous burning passion for my culture because every day that I speak it or I learn more about it or I do more research or do more learning or hear an ancestor tell me some of the tidbits that, you know, that, that, are, that are so, 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 you know, like little jewels, that just adds more to this, this story that, that we have that's been, that's, that dates back to the 1600s. Wow. Dang. <laughs> need to you're, process that for a second. Heard, that's awesome. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> the Oak Spring Garden Foundation is now accepting applications for a residential four-and-a-half-day papermaking class led by Alyssa Sakura. Participants will harvest plants grown on site and learn how to make paper from them. Applications due July 1st, 2021. 
In addition, they are accepting applications for their 2022 Interdisciplinary Residency Program. This is a five-week program. Residents receive shared housing on-site, are able to explore the 700-acre landscape biocultural conservation farm, their rare book library, and have 24-7 access to a studio space. Each resident receives a $2,000 grant and will join a cohort of eight students, including artists, researchers, and scientists. Interested artists will be able to harvest crops grown on-site that are suitable for fiber arts, paper making, and natural dyes. Applications due July 15, 2021. Visit osgf.org for more information. They're known as sweet grass baskets, but do you right. use other fibers like longleaf pine, bulrush, yes, and palmetto fronds? Um, can you, you talk a little bit it. about those different fibers and what parts they play in basketry? So as the enslaved were brought here to the low country, they found similar materials that they was using on the West Coast. And mm-hmm. so um, it's almost it was almost a way of it was almost a way of if, if, if we can sit back and, and look at this as a as a as a picture of the enslaved saying, wait, wait, white men, you know, let me show y'all what y'all need to let us do. You know, y'all sit back for a little minute and let, let us show you how we're going to make this thing work is almost the way the way I visualize it. You know, so mm-hmm. it was almost it's almost as the enslaved took the reins and, and showed how to plant the rice, how to water the fields. Then when the, to, to, to harvest these rices, then how to winnow the rice to bag. And let me watch. I want y'all to watch how we trade this rice and it becomes the number one cash crop of the world. And so in, in my way of visualizing all that, it's almost like it's almost like a, a youngster telling an older person, you know, just sit back for a minute, old school. Let me show you. Let me show you what I can do to, to make to make this here work so much better. You know, and so it was, it was a way of it was a way of uh, Europeans learning these processes from the enslaved. And it was like, well, damn, you know, that was pretty clever. That was awesome. You know, and, but this awesomeness, of course, probably wasn't worded that way or probably wasn't, you know, rewarded that way. Because of once mm-hmm. again, we're speaking of the time of enslavement. Mm-hmm. But if you think about what they have brought to the table of that time, fueling that economy of cash cropping, trading and bartering as we uh, of the Carolinas traded with Barbados and, and we send the raw rice down to Barbados and then Barbados sent the rum up to New York state and then New York state sent the lumber back down to the Carolinas. I mean, it was a process of trading. Mm-hmm. This whole process was done uh, based off the skill of the enslaved. Uh, to me, that's, that's, that's beyond, you know, uh, uh, that's, that's more than you can think of. As far as those materials that you spoke of, as we use those four materials, each material also played its own role. The bulrush is a darker brown. That's the biblical grass baby Moses is found in. Rushes are found on any saltwater coast. So to say, you know, Africa's uh, coastline is very similar to America's coastline, that'd be an argument that most people would agree with, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so to have that darker brown fiber known as bulrush, and then the the lighter grass, known as sweet grass. Sweet grass was a similar material that was found here. Um, of earlier days, as you visit some of the, the museums, they use more of a split oak to hold mm-hmm. the baskets together, other than mm-hmm. using 
the the palmetto and so the palmetto just was so plentiful the palmetto was mm. such an easier way of making the artwork because mm. we didn't have to soak the, the 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 split oak we don't have to shave the tree soak it let it cure this that and the third by just using the palmetto branch it, it was just an easier faster process from my understanding pine needles used here on the coast of carolina only was not a was not used that much on the west coast of Africa. Pine needle is used later on just for coloring. Pine needle doesn't give it any more strength. It doesn't help with any smell. It doesn't do anything but give coloring. Uh, mm. But as those four materials were used, it now is, is they're known as uh, sweetgrass materials. So that's going to be bulrush, palmetto, and pine needle. And sweetgrass is the main material, and that's the lighter grass. Hmm. Okay. So... So you were saying, though, that that split oak was, and I mean, just to give people an idea, I guess, listeners, since they can't, they're not looking at a basket right now. Uh -huh. um, I mean, essentially, you have, you know, those thinner, more, I guess, needle-like fibers that are uh -huh. then wrapped uh -huh. around and attached to each other using something like the palm fronds, or you said it used to be split oak. That's Correct. I didn't know that. Correct. So split oak was an older material. If you see some of the, the museum pieces or if you travel up to the Smithsonian and look at the original Gullah baskets, it's going to be a thicker fiber. And it's a it's a split oak material. It's more like a it, it serves the same purpose as the palm did um, or does. It serves the same purpose as the palm. And just to me, it, it uh, as I understand it, it was just a little easier, more, more, more plentiful palmetto trees are everywhere. You know, mm -hmm. it's just an easier process to split the fan, uh, a fan of palmetto down to use for threading instead of stripping a tree down for that purpose. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. Huh. And then it also makes an, uh, a great understanding of who we are as a state. We're the palmetto state. So we mm -hmm. use palmetto for the baskets and also we use palmetto for the for palmetto rose making. Um, someone pretty much put some thought towards that, you know, early on. Um, by as far as making it one understanding of what we're using, where we at, where we're located, you know, understanding that the origin is from the West coast of Africa, but what we're doing today to make it a South Carolina art, we're using, you know, the South Carolina state tree, uh, we harvesting right here, you know, right here in the area. And then we also using the, the longleaf pine needle, gathering that off the forest floor. We wait till the pine needle drops. And for those listeners that have pine needle in your neck of the woods, we do not use the loblolly. We use the long leaf. And so the long leaf pine needle has three shoots, three, three strands on it. And then it's about a foot long. And oh, wow. so if you can visualize, you know what that looks like. And then sweetgrass for some of those that are in the northern states, sweetgrass is also known to be in the Montana and the uh, North Dakota area, uh, mm -hmm. South Dakota. Now those ones up there using sweetgrass their sweetgrass would have been known to be used for native american rituals as they braided the sweetgrass or burn it um mm. that sweetgrass also tastes sweet like candy so the only similarity between a, a, a northern mid middle middle of america sweetgrass to a coastal carolina sweetgrass will be the name our sweetgrass does not taste sweet uh, we do not burn it uh, uh, the natives of American, you know, Native Americans of that area, uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, use theirs. And then the natives of coast of Carolina, you know, used ours as well. So that's a similarity as far as an old way of doing things. But the only other similarity would be the name. Sweetgrass of that area is not our sweetgrass of this area. Hmm. Hmm. 
I had yeah. no idea about that. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> Do you harvest your own materials, Corey? Yes. Uh-huh. That's a totally separate process. Oh, can you tell me about it? The harvesting is done at low tide. Uh, so we go at low tide. Well, let me back up. Sweetgrass is only harvest in the summer months. So we try okay. to gather enough of that that we can actually store. How much does that end up being? Well, really, you want to harvest as much as you can, you know, to be honest. There's really no certain amount, you you know, it's, it's really what all you can gather. As the art form has, you know, a lot of older weavers, some of us younger ones, we try to help out the older weavers some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've seen on any of my, my uh, social media pages, but I did a major sweetgrass giveaway. Ah, I did see that, yeah. Yeah, and so that giveaway was me just giving back. It was over 96 basket weavers that I was able to give Wow. Uh, the abundance of whatever they wanted. They was able to take as much as they wanted and that would sustain them until the whole next season. Wow. And so I was blessed. I was blessed to uh, be given a whole boatload of material. And instead of me being stingy and keeping it, my wife and I, we gave it back out. That's awesome. So does does your wife weave as well? Do y'all weave oh, together? Yeah. Yes, yes. Cool. Nice. It's a family thing. And uh, actually, I learned from her. You know, so when we were dating, uh, at the ages of, uh, I was 18, she was 17 is when oh. she originally showed me how to do it. And so I'm from Mount Pleasant, born and raised. My family is generational from Mount Pleasant as well, but different parts of the area kept different trades and techniques alive, uh, mm-hmm. since days of enslavement. Karen's family, uh, were more known as full-time weavers, uh, being, being enslaved in the area of Boone Hall plantation. Mm-hmm. And so my ancestry was from Long Point Road, it's a community called Snowden, and the plantation that my family was enslaved at is now the Port's Authority. And so that port wasn't there uh, of the 18, 17, 1600s. There was just a, a plantation there, and that plantation was more known for for brick and then also uh, gardening. So that was more of a, a fruits and vegetable type plantation. As wow. the Boone Hall, you know, two, three miles down the road on Long Point Road, was also doing brick, but then also was a major rice plantation as well. And so the histories changed. We're from the same area, just, you know, five minutes away from each other. But by being enslaved, our ancestors being enslaved in different areas, we also have different uh, trades and techniques that our our forefathers did before we were born. Um, And so once we kind of seen each other in high school, long story short, She's from here. I'm from here. You know, we kind of got together. But as she brought the skill to me of basket weaving, I picked up on it, learning from her and her mom and her grandmother. Um, And then around the the year of 2004. um, So we we got married in 2002. uh, Around 2004 is when I started going to the city market, working with her sister. Her sister was running the family business generationally. And so um, then I started going down there in 04 as well. And I've been down in the city market since then. And so generationally, um, the, the sweetgrass trade was from Karen's grandmother's grandmother. And then, you know, as I married into the family, I was also allowed to be a part of it. And now I'm running the family business now. Wow. Yep. That's so, I mean. I can hear the smile on Amy's face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's really interesting because. I, we, we interview, uh, we've interviewed like 20 
some craftspeople and um Mm-hmm. I don't, nobody has a story of intergenerational kind of succession. It's always, mm-hmm. you know, they went to college and took the, the craft, you know, area okay. of college and then were a craftsperson or, you know, kind of came to it through a bunch of different avenues, you know, maybe not related to school or anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that that kind of family uh family business that also includes like culture and heritage and Correct. all these like really amazing things wrapped up together something we have not heard at all on the show and it just makes me really that's awesome really yeah i mean it, that is such a unique story and it's so important and it it's it's just like i think people need a sense of identity and mm-hmm you know, sometimes people kind of buck against identity that's been given to them or something like that. But I think your, your sense of identity and heritage is just so important and such a wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm so thankful. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've, we've definitely embraced it, you know, Amy, uh, and I appreciate you saying, you know, that this, you know, maybe I'm the first one you've interviewed like this, but Mm -hmm. my story is very authentic. You know, it's, it's the real Mm -hmm. deal. You know, we're not, we're not padding this thing up to make it sound good. Yeah. What I'm, you know, it is what it is. You know, we. Yeah. Um, if you ever, if you ever been to Charleston, it's smoking hot. It's smoking hot down here in January. <laughs> I mean, July and, and August. You know, but yes, we, we're is. still doing it. You know, we're still doing yeah. it. You know, um, you know, and so you know, my business is 100 percent based off of tourism, and so we are, we are blessed mm-hmm. that Charleston brings the people in because uh, at the end of the day, no one needs a basket. You know, it's not a need. It's not a necessity. But yeah. but we're blessed to be able to make this artwork and, and, and have people, you know, be fond of it, you know, worldwide and, and want to learn more about it. You know, it's a blessing, you know, but at the same time, I realize that, you know, you, you, you don't know the when the next one will sell, you know, because it's mm-hmm. once again, it's not a necessity, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The John C. Campbell Folk School's in-person classes have officially resumed. And on top of offering top-notch workshops in traditional handcrafts like blacksmithing, woodworking, weaving, and ceramics, to name a few, they offer basketry classes. To register, browse their e-catalog online, or request a print catalog, visit folkschool.org. And don't forget, as always, there are scholarship opportunities available. Our sponsor, North House Folk School, teaches traditional craft online and on the shores of Lake Superior. You can learn everything from blacksmithing to fly fishing and from shoemaking to woodworking. Also, North House is hiring. Visit northhouse.org to learn more about their classes and open positions. Once again, that's northhouse.org. Check them out today. So have you ever had any other sort of careers or jobs besides basket making? I did. I did. Okay. Do you, do you feel like, do you feel like basket weaving and the craft you're doing now working with your hands and kind of interacting with the public? Do you think that that satisfies something that you don't feel you'd get from another job or career? And then maybe what are some of the challenges? You just touched on those, but. Yeah. Okay. So, 
the first part of the question is, you know, have I ever had another job? And, and the answer would be yes. Um, so <laughs> I drove forklift, you know. Um, uh, so, you know, before forklift, you know, coming out of high school, you know, well, shit, they didn't even back further than that. I had a paper route at eight years old, oh, you yeah. know, and so I was a paper. <laughs> I was a I was a paper route kid, you know, so I've been working uh -huh. since eight. Um, you know, at the time I lived with my mom as, you know, her and her, my, my, my father was going through a separation. So we mm -hmm. lived around the Florence area, a little area called, uh, uh, a little north of Florence called Sherrall, South Carolina. And I was, uh, I was uh, able to sell a, P a newspaper called the PD Time. And the PD Time, we would get out of Florence. And that was like one of my first little hustles at eight, nine years old, selling the <laughs> PD Time. And so it was a, it was a point of sale of that time as well. I didn't have a paper route, but me and my two first cousins, we would hit parking lots and have okay. the newspaper folded up in our hands. And we're trying to sell the PD Times for 50 cent. I remember like yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first way of showing, uh, you know, the, the hustle was there. You know, the, the, the mm -hmm. talking to people has always been there because I've mm -hmm. been doing this since I've been a kid. I even remember dating back to days of James B. Edwards. I was the, I was the kid of having a. Uh, pencils and, and, and erasers in a book bag for sale, the blow pops for sale. Uh, and, and so, uh, so I remember that so, so vividly. There was also this like this triangle finger squeezer thing that you would slide on the pencil. It was about an inch and a half long. It'll basically help you grip the pencil. Yeah. 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 And so I sold those. Yeah. I sold those for 15 cents. I sold the both, the blow pop for a quarter and the erasers for, for a dime. You know, I've, I've been, I've been in sales before I even realized I was going to be in sales for the rest of my career. You know, um, I love it. You know, believe it or not, That's I love awesome. it. I love people and I love talking and I love joking. And, and I'm going to tell you why you need this eraser and, and why that number two eraser is going to fall off one day. You know, so that was that was me. Corey, can you please can you please start offering a line of, of erasers to go with your sweet I, I sold them. I sold them in James B. Edwards. I promise you. I'm, I'm in first and second grade on, on, on James B. If anybody knows Mount Pleasant, that's still an elementary school in existence. And then we we moved to Bell Hall uh, right after Hurricane Hugo. That's around 89. So Bell Hall Elementary was built uh, around that time. And so then my community, uh, uh, it was transferred into there. And then uh, and then I'm sure you, you might have went to that school, too, buddy, because we grew up in the same area. But um, yeah, Bell Hall High Flyers. Yeah, 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 exactly. So and so it's just it's just, you know, my whole life, I've, you know, I've been a point of sales. And so when I picked mm -hmm. up the family business in 04, it was like uh, second nature to me talking mm -hmm. to a complete stranger. You know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, now with a historic significance, of course, uh, mm -hmm. we, we became a little more serious, a little more adult like. So I'm talking about the significance of, of a culture. So mm -hmm. it wasn't the, the pencil pushing or the newspaper pushing as a kid. But mm -hmm. but this being mm -hmm. friendly and open to people is what mm -hmm. allowed me to also be a businessman in the city market. Um, mm -hmm. Not shy. I'm not timid. You know, no questions will offend me. Um, mm -hmm. And so. As 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 I uh, got older, you know, out of the the, uh, the newspaper age, one of my first clock in jobs, I was at Arby's right here in Mount Pleasant selling roast beef sandwiches, you know. And so <laughs> then I went to Bilo at Sweetgrass, uh, Sweetgrass Boulevard, uh, Sweetgrass Shopping Center over there by Isle of Palms. I worked at Bilo at 16 mm -hmm. and then I moved to Publix right here in Mount Pleasant, the first Publix and so uh, that's why I met Karen. I met Karen as we was in high school. Um, I worked at Publix. 
Then I had a little odds and end jobs, drove forklift about five years as the plant that I worked at was severed. They severed all of us for, for lower uh, workers. So they sold the company mm -hmm. to a Mexican company or whatnot. And so I was at mm -hmm. Shell Oil driving forklift. And I thought that was it. I thought that was my career because it paid well. I had great benefits. My first daughter was born. So mm -hmm. I had the opportunity of moving to Charlotte, staying with the company. I would have been working on the pipeline at the Shell Oil pipeline in Charlotte. But my mother-in-law, she's the one encouraged me to try the market. She says, Corey, you're great with people. You know, you talk well. You, we understand your words. Why don't you try to run the family business? On and Coming from her, it meant a lot. You know, this is her business that she wants me to run or be a part of running. So I, I went down to the city market with my sister-in-law. And uh, that first week was a blast. I, 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 I just knew that was what I was going to do forever. Um, oh. Still today, running that business. But I was... I was almost gifted uh, the opportunity of, of being severed from a, from a great job, 401ks and benefits to becoming self-employed. And that never was a part of my mind as an adult because self-employment is difficult. You know, self-employment, you work harder being self-employed because you're never off. You, you're always working. Um, being clocking in, you just you go for your eight hours, you get your eight hours done, you wait for your check to come. You know, uh, mm -hmm. self-employed is totally different. There's a whole lot more uh, sacrifice. There's a whole lot more work you got to do. There's a lot more uh, being frugal, you know, because there's certain times of the year that we don't have a, a booming tourism season. So those are all things that I had to learn. You know, I had to learn how to be a businessman and and also how to be, uh, uh, you know, kind of kind of putting back, you know, putting those nuts to the side for the for that mm -hmm. cold winter is the best way to word it. But yeah. um yeah, so I've done it all. I've done it all. But I honestly feel that I, uh, my next chapter, you know, I'm going on 20 years of doing this. My next chapter, I would love to do more public speaking. You know, I do a ton mm -hmm. of uh, speaking now for schools, um, uh, elementary, middle school, based on South Carolina's history. I, mm -hmm. I would love to get more into public speaking and teaching people about what makes the culture so unique. Um so that's that's something that my wife and I spoke about, because uh, if I can get into public speaking, I, I think I would enjoy that just as much as basket weaving. Whoa, yeah. cool. Wow. Yeah. 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 I mean, you got a gift for it, as I know people yeah. have told you. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard that. I've heard that. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> oh. um, can you talk about how uh, recent construction and development in Charleston has impacted people's ability to harvest sweetgrass making like basket materials? And uh, yeah, what's been your yeah. experience? So as I, um, so rifle range road in Mount Pleasant was an area before all the, all the development back there. That was a major area that we harvested. Um, understanding that, you know, my wife's grandparents and that their grandparents harvest right here in Mount Pleasant for years, for generations. Um, as, as it has developed, you know, now we go as far as, as uh, Bluffton, uh, Buford area. Um, I actually have a little sweet spot around Bluffton, around the main river um, that I harvest from. It's a little sweet spot. And so most of us weavers, we don't tell the next weaver where we're harvesting because it is kind of a shortage. Um, but once again, I've been blessed to have some great people in my corner to either cut the material for me and bring it to me or allow me to come get it off their properties. And so um, since I've been blessed, I try to, you know, 
push to push that blessing forward to those that I know might need it. Um, it's not about me. It's about us. And so there are some people that try to sell the material and, and I just I just don't I don't care to do that. If I have an abundance, I'd rather just give it away. But due to so much development, uh, more and more people moving into the Charleston County, uh, we have started going further south to, to harvest. What you need is warm climate and salt water. So it is a marsh material. And so as long as we stay around the coast, you know, um, we can find sweet grass as far south as the Everglades. It's just not yeah. convenient to drive, you know, 11, 11 to 12 right. hours out there to get it. But it is yeah. very plentiful. Sweetgrass yeah. grows around, you know, down around the Everglades, come up about around the Gulf of Mexico, you know, touch that Alabama, Mississippi coast around Louisiana. Once again, you need that salt water and you need that warm climate and you'll find sweetgrass. And so I've always been one to say it's not the grass that makes what we do so unique. It's the people that's keeping the skill set alive um, mm -hmm. because uh, with with the material just allows us to keep the skill set alive. But of course, we can always use just bull rush if we had to, you know, um, mm -hmm. there, there are some, some people of the, of the areas that I've met over the years, they make pine needle baskets, you know? And so sweetgrass just identifies us as the Gullah community, but, um, the skill set alone is, is what makes us unique. I guess with all of that development, then is it that the grass is being, like uh wiped out or is it just because people are developing that and then now that's private land and then they're not giving people access to it correct it's, the, it's that it's that last part correct yeah so as you as you purchase land you know you now have the right of way to that property and so instead of me you know trying to get into your backyard to harvest material i'm on now on private property you know um mm -hmm. and then also once you start changing the landscaping by adding new dirt to make it a, a stronger, you know, foundation that also kills that, that old uh, marsh grass that, that was growing on its own because you're mm -hmm. filling in the marshes with more of a fill dirt or, or, uh, or like a, you know, a, a topsoil so the house can have a firm uh, foundation. So now that, that plant doesn't grow there as it used to. Um, now there, there's also another type of material that has been growing a lot. And it's going to be what we call ornamental grass. So ornamental grass is what you'll find in the flower beds of Walmart or Kohl's or, or you know, uh, uh, any, any, any store. And you see that sweet grass growing in the flower beds. We actually call that to be ornamental because it's so thick that we really can't use it. Um, it's actually something that most weavers prefer not to use. They rather have the natural sweet grass that's never been fertilized than that one that's been grown in flower beds. And so the one that's been grown in, you know, the city or the town may plant it. Uh, since we're the, you know, the, 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 the handcraft of South Carolina, that word sweet grass actually is get, getting around a lot more. So you find sweet grass or flower beds of I-26. You find sweet grass in the mall shopping centers and all in those flower beds. Um, and it's, and it's, and it's great, you know, to embrace the, the, the culture, based off of, uh, you know, what the community is doing, but it's not the material that we need. What we need is going to be that untouched sweet grass that grows natural with no fertilizer. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of seems sort of ironic to me that you have, you know, they're like, yeah, it's the state craft of South Carolina. And they're like, also we're going to develop it. So you can't get the materials you need. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, 
it, it just it, it's a it's a uh, uh, it's a backsided compliment if you follow what I mean. It's like yeah, yeah. it's like you know yeah. uh, you know you did a good job, but you should have did this instead. You know, and so right, it's like yeah. a backsided compliment. Um, but yes, I do agree with you what you said. Dang. So uh, we read that basket photography is also part of your business. Uh, Correct. Yeah. Where did inspiration for that come from and how has it, has it had any influence on how you are making baskets? Yes. Yes, it has. And um, so around 14, 2014, um, no, I say 2013. I was I was uh, approached by this company uh, by a salesman. Uh, I don't think they even made it as high as the you know the the store reps or whatnot. But there was a <laughs> company that wanted to put my sweetgrass images on their cups, and uh, and so they you know the idea was, Corey, your stitching is so clean. What if you submit your images? to us and we sell it in our Charleston store, Savannah store, Myrtle beach store. Um, and so that idea to me was great. You know, that'd be kind of cool. I would be on these cups in these three areas within the Gullah Geechee corridor. And so everyone knows about sweetgrass. That'd be a cool idea. Uh, long story short, myself in the, in the head companies that would have figured out the figures, we couldn't get to an understanding on what percentage I would, bring in per cup um, mm -hmm. or per unit or, or poor, or, or would you just buy out my image and use it on as many cups as you want? Uh, okay. So we couldn't yeah. get to the right, we couldn't get to the right figures. I felt it was a highway robbery. So I backed mm -hmm. out, you know, I backed out of the idea of doing any deal with this company based on the sweet grass baskets that I wove that I would have to photograph. And then mm -hmm. they use my image on the side of the cups. They did it anyway. No, they did not. They did not. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I was about to like be really upset. <laughs> yeah, Amy was about to come down there and burn it down. <laughs> no, no, they did not. They did not. It's, it is such it's such a huge company. I'm not going to say the name of them, but no, they did not. Mm -hmm. They did not do it anyway. They uh, backed okay. off, and you know they just didn't do a Gullah Cup series, uh, mm -hmm. Sweetgrass Cup series is what they were thinking of, and and so I was that one that they reached out to. Uh, mm -hmm. And so long story short, I, I didn't do it, didn't do the deal. I felt that the numbers were nothing. Um, and I'm thinking generational, my daughters would be running this business one day. And, you know, I just felt like it wasn't a good deal. Long story short. Mm -hmm. So as I'm driving home one day, I said, well, if they think my work is nice enough to be photographed and sell my image, what if I sold my image, you know, like that? And so mm -hmm. totally. Uh, I had an inventory of pieces that I photographed over the years for my whole career. And, uh, and I, and I had a buddy, he had a, he had a print company in the city market and I ran a few of my, I, I gave him a thumb drive of a few of my images and told him to print it and see what happens, see what it looks like. So, uh, around 2014, I, I went and got a business license. I created a whole new company of sweetgrass photography. I call it Gullah Woven Photos. That business that I created was a way of showing the art form and keeping the Gullah conversation alive is what I wanted to do. I wanted to create some type of new business that would not step on the ideas of what my forefathers did before me. I didn't want to bring any any shame to this new business or or let mm -hmm. the or let the industry down by uh, 
selling us out. Is that if that's a good word for it? So I wanted mm-hmm. to do something that would be considered art. Uh, I wanted something that'd be considered original, but I did not want it to seem like I was uh, shipping in baskets from Bangladesh and calling them sweetgrass mm-hmm. baskets. I wanted it to be authentic. Long story short. Yeah. Um, so the best way that I could figure out how to make a new business authentic, I thought of the concept of prints. It worked well. I mean, I'm still running a business to the day. Um, so, so my very elaborate pieces is what I photograph. Mm -hmm. My, my concept, my client would have been a doctor's office, a restaurant, uh, a lawyer's office. So they would put these pictures on the wall that commemorates the culture, you know, keeps the art alive, keeps the conversation alive. But uh, what it does, it, it motivates me to keep doing unique pieces. And mm. uh, then the reason why I can keep doing the unique pieces is because I need some kind of, you know, I need the next shoot. I need the next thing to photograph. You know, um, my passion uh, of shooting photography came and I didn't even know it until one of my father, uh, my late father, he passed in 2002, he was a photographer and it was one of his friends that reminded me of that. I had, I, I totally forgot that he had his own dark room and he would shoot, he would shoot, you know, birds and, and mm-hmm. deer eating in the yard and he would photograph his own stuff. And then in his own dark room, he actually, you know, uh, um, processed the pictures and it took a friend of, of my pops to, to remind me of Corey, you don't remember your dad did the same thing. And I'm like, no, damn, I sure didn't. <laughs> but yes, now that you bring it to my attention, I do remember that, you know? Oh yeah. Now with that being said, my daughter, she's a, she's a college student. She actually picked up the camera just like I did. And so her 10th grade year in high school at Wando, she joined the yearbook club. And so Yasmin is a rewarded, uh, decorated, photographer for the yearbook so she is uh actually the 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 2020 yearbook was considered best yearbook of south carolina and she was one of the lead photographers for the for that for that yearbook and so uh speaking generational yeah speaking generational (laughs) we 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 got an eye for art you know my pops did it i did it and my daughter did it and so we you know that business line uh something that you really didn't put any thought towards it just happened but Mm -hmm. um cool as all get out man and 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 so i i love the idea of generational anything but uh yeah. that's a whole nother story all in this, all by itself <laughs> that that is so right. that is so so cool yeah yeah so my daughter wow, still shoots great. i still shoot you know we just do it for fun but when i shoot it's mostly basket weaving only so mm-hmm. my 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 blended art would be so there's photographers of charleston that would shoot the the new Ravenel Bridge. I will shoot the Ravenel Bridge with a sweetgrass basket in it. So I'm blending my my artwork, my weaving with the low country scenes. And so you may see something at a rice field, a rice plantation, or you may see me shoot a basket at a at a uh, a slave quarters of Carolina. It's one of my shots. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, so based on my photography blend, I'm also able to tell stories in my shots. That's great. That's so cool. Yeah. I miss my Mimi. I was thinking of the clock in her living room last week, and this week it's been the kitchen. I spent a lot of my early life on a stool at her kitchen countertop, making jello, and then consuming as much as I could in one sitting. Eating bologna on white bread with mayonnaise while we watched daytime soaps or The Price is Right. 
having cereal in the morning with the Tony the Tiger bowls we'd saved box rebate coupons for and received in the mail. When I have these passing memories, I keep seeing her cabinets. I remember the sound of their form-fitting doors closing shut after she'd grabbed her mug and sugar cubes for her coffee, or the pancake mix and the syrup. I see her hutch, too, where she kept dishes we rarely used and for some reason these little to-go boxes of raisins. Right now I'm thinking of the bread box, which my inner child misses dearly since it kept not bread, but bags and bags of candy which she didn't know I knew about for a while until one day I was a little overindulgent and didn't cover my tracks. Nancy Hiller is a woodworker who specializes in late 19th to mid 20th century architecture and furnishings. And if you look at her portfolio on her website, there's these white oak cabinets with hand forged strap hinges that made me make you listen to how I miss my Mimi because the connection was immediate. Lots of philosophers like to say things are just things and we imbue them with meaning, but I would say that statement neglects the interactions between things and beings and things being. Based in Bloomington, Indiana, where there's plenty of wood to work with, Nancy pays homage to the home she helps furnish or refurnish by identifying the character of the house first and then working within those walls, paying respect to its original integrity and its past. So take that, philosophers. Check in next episode for Nancy Hiller to dovetail much more nuanced details about her craft and where life and object interact. So who, who is someone or a type of person inside of uh, Sweetgrass basketry that you admire and maybe someone outside of your craft that you admire? I actually admire those, those, I think more than just one person in the craft would be the elders that has been doing it, you know, and doing it for the longest. You know, I admire mm-hmm. their, 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 their passion of keeping it going. Um, Karen's grandmother, before she passed, she's a Smithsonian representative, uh, has worked in there since 1984. She would tell us stories before she passed of how they would sell sweetgrass baskets, you know, for five cents, 10 cents per basket. Wow. This is oh spending gosh. six, seven days on a piece. And of course, you know, being being black of Mount Pleasant, uh, she was born in 1913. So being black in Mount Pleasant of 1913, 1920, 1925, of course, we, we weren't we weren't as uh, the people weren't as freed as they are today. There was still a, a whole lot of racism and, and you're less than mindset. And so mm-hmm. that 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 time that she was telling us how they would sell the baskets for a nickel. Of course, you know, a nickel back then may have been considering, you know, similar to what we call $5 of today, but still to put that kind of work in for something that cheap uh, and they stuck with it, you know, they stuck with it. So that's, I really, you know, I give praises to those that have stuck with it for so long for pennies on a dollar. You know, yeah. um, now now allowing this next generation, well, my generation to still do the same. We haven't changed anything. We're just a next generation doing it. And we're able to sustain livelihood, you know, as a hundred percent self-employed, you know, entrepreneur with the mindset of living in a town that, that, you know, it's not the cheapest County, you know, Charleston County mm-hmm. isn't, the, isn't the cheapest County to live in, you know, as far as, mm-hmm. You know, the, 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 the whatever we have to do to survive. But, you know, as they kept it alive long enough that now we're doing it and we're able to survive and 
take care of our families on the same lifestyle, I give all the respect to them for that. Because um, if they would have let it die it out, you know, just based on it's not worth it, then we would have never grabbed a hold on to it to, to keep it moving to the next generation. So that's who I, um, I always show respect to them based on my career for the past, you know, 19, 20 years. And then someone that I also uh, am very fond of is going to, it's going to probably be someone you may not think I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it. Um, I'm very fond of uh, Barack Obama. Um, and the reason is because black men didn't really have too much of a role model to go by uh, in the 90s, in the 2000s. Uh, no, no scandal. No, I'm not talking about Barack as a politician. I'm talking about Barack as a black man, a family man, a father, uh, a man of God. And so I am extremely fond of his character. I'm not speaking anything on his politics. Uh, so I don't want to get nobody that's listening to this all bent out of shape. <laughs> but, but as his character, I love who he is as his character. He had, you know, from my knowledge, no, no marital scandals, you know, no, no harshness to his daughters. Uh, he, was, he was a man of God. Uh, he may have had his flaws and, you know, smoke cigarette or whatever. This that, and the third, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about his his statue, his who he was, uh, in such a political eye, such an eye of the world. He still was able to 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 hug his wife and, and hold his hands with his wife and and dance with his wife and you know and, and be a great dad to his kids and and so in my in my in my culture and my being black, you know, we hear a lot of you hear a lot about broken homes. You hear a lot about the guy that's not there for the kids. You hear a lot about the guy that maybe extremely abusive or you hear a lot about the guy that doesn't really want to go to work. He just want to, you know, uh, Barack was totally opposite of the stereotypical black man. And I loved him for it. Mm -hmm. I just don't, you know, uh, at, at what, when I was a kid, you know, we watched all the Cosby shows, you know, but, but then they have a, you know, something that came up on him five, mm -hmm. 10 years ago. And so it's just like all the role models that weren't in our household or in our, in our personal life, our role models are now having, you know, scandals against them or they may have did this and they should have thought twice about it. But that guy, Barack, to me, is just like uh, he's very profound. You know, I just uh, totally respect his 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 uh, who he is. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Jesus, dude, you're making me cry over here. No, man, no, <laughs> man. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. You know, you ask me questions. I got to be real. That's good. No, I appreciate it, really. I, yeah. Um. Uh, gosh, I'm. Uh, you, you, you. Uh, sidetracked me. <laughs> I'm sorry, just thinking sorry about. about that. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just answering your questions, Amy. I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> so, so I'll tell you what, how, how about we change it up a little bit on your, on your, <laughs> on your talk show. Tell me, how do you feel about that statement I just made? What do you think? About which part of it? Just people in general and, and how you love them for what they stand for. You know, you, you know, you can't really go for, you know, their personal thought processes, but what do you think about, what do you think about, you know, the ancestors that I, I find to be very fond of or to that one person that I found to be very respectful of. What do you think about those 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 two topics that I just now brought up? Well, the, the thing that came to mind when you answered the first part of the question was that like that what you kind of picked out 
from my perspective was that the skill is worth more than money. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, and that is, it's something that's like a foundational thing for being a human <laughs> All right. to be able to not only pass down something that would, you know, creates a um, link from, from family member to family member for, for, you know, people who aren't here now, but we're here at one time <laughs> mm-hmm. that that is something to be admired and is worth more than just uh, the, the money that you're getting for it, you know, obviously, mm-hmm. because if you're, if you're taking the time to remember the people who taught you how that skill mm-hmm. and taking, taking the time to teach that to the next person, it it's not about how much money you're making or your business practice as much as it is about um, having a having a connection to something that's bigger than you. That's what's and, and I think that is so important. And I, I really admire that that is the thing that you said you admire. <laughs> we yes, have that yes, in common. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I appreciate you. I, I mean, I know, I know, I know this is a question about all Corey's thoughts, but I like having a conversation as well. So I no, hope you didn't mind great. me, you know, actually, you, no. you know, your opinion. And, no. and, and, Not and, uh, and the same for you, Brian, you know, you know, I, I think you was going to chime in on the question as well. And, you know, I just, you know, I, I, I'm not just a talker. I'm also a listener as well, you know, so, <laughs> you know, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I would just add to what Amy said, really. It's, I'm just so, I guess, moved by, uh, the resilience, um, mm-hmm. Like, I mean, no one could have blamed anyone for throwing in the towel, you know, getting paid like such a little (laughs) amount for so much work. (laughs) And, but then just to be like, you know what, I'm, this is like just having a sense of that, like context and that connection and just being Mm -hmm. like, no, like this is what we do. Right. (sighs) Jeez. It's yeah. It's just super powerful. Um, Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I love that the symbol too is like a basket, like something that holds stuff. Uh, Yeah. And like, as you know, I don't know. It's just like your baskets are full, whether or not they have something in them, I guess is the best way to to put it for me. Yeah, Yeah, man. Yeah. Man. (laughs) I've been looking forward to this interview for a long time. (laughs) You do not disappoint my friend. Hopefully I'm not letting you down. No, no, certainly not. I'm taking you out for Waffle House next time I come to town. Oh, buddy, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, you know, I, I had a, I have a question that maybe, I don't, I, yeah, I, I'll just ask it. So I don't know. Welcome to the first ever segment of Amy Off Script. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I love it. I love it. This is the real. This is the real right here. That's what I like. Do you do you know what what folks were using in Sierra Leone for the sweet grass basket like materials? Were the is it, it were they using like grass grass and yeah fronds yeah, so and it, stuff? it was it using? wasn't marsh grass from my understanding. Um 
but they, they the, the scientific name is almost like 16 letters you know of course <laughs> uh they didn't call it that over there either yeah um but from my understanding it was just a similar material that they found that grew by the marshes and so i'm i'm guessing without them even realizing it it might have been sweet grass there and sweet grass here now what they called it over there on the west coast i have no idea um mm -hmm. Because once again, we, we, we were, my ancestors were enslaved and given the English language. And so mm -hmm. by being given the English language, you're now speaking based on the Englishman's smell of something smells sweet. And that mm -hmm. looks like grass, you know? And so mm -hmm. I'm thinking they seen it here on a visual basis and knew that that material would have worked because it's not only that it would have worked, they harvested you know, they harvested of that time and they laid it to dry just like we're doing today. So to know it was going to dry the right way so it can be used is definitely something that had been used, you know, way before being enslaved. Um, mm. And so they knew how to dry it. We sun dry our material here. They, 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 you know, they made baskets for hundreds of years for rice cultivation. And so the skill of doing all that was definitely something done before being enslaved. Yeah. Once again, I don't know if you remember, I, I use the analogy of, you know, y'all just sit back and let me show y'all how this thing is done. <laughs> and so with that, with that idea of let me show you how this thing is done, they not only grew the rice, they also had to make this basket that took four or five days, you know, to make this basket. Yeah. At the same time, the enslaved, uh, the, the, uh, the enslaver may have thought they'd just been wasting time for the first couple of times that he did it. You know, like, you know, hurry up with this thing. Mm -hmm. What are you doing? You know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you just sitting down for a break, you know, no, we're making a basket that's going to clean this rice. And so that whole mm -hmm. conversation had to been said and done and not only done in one plantation, but has it done in another plantation and so on and so forth all the way up the coast because you had Carolina gold, Carolina gold growing, you know, as far as South as, as St. Augustine at one time. Uh, as far as north as you know, uh, Jacksonville, uh, Wilmington area, and so that 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 message got out at Wi-Fi, you know, uh, by I guess by by horseback, um, mm -hmm. stating or showing that next plantation. I mean, to to think of how all plantations got on board to grow, harvest, dry, and clean this rice with a basket. That that had to, that had to have been some kind of you know that's a message. That stretched over four states. Um, yeah. That's that's not an accidental message. That is something that was deliberately passed from one state to the other, from one city to the other, from one plantation to the other, so that everyone knew that this is how we're going to do cash cropping around the coast. Because mm -hmm. based on the soils, tobacco wasn't grown that well around the low country. Uh, 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 soybean wasn't you know as popular around the low country because of the soils as wet as the wetlands. Was you know you had high tide, low tide. You had you had storms. You had you know uh, different different mosquito diseases, and so a lot of the stuff around the around the coast just wasn't done. But that rice caught on. Cotton cotton is not even something big done on the coast. Um, hmm. Those are all more inland around the around the, around the Piedmonts or the or the sand hills of Carolina is where they grew all those other crops. You know, and, but um, for it to get out, that rice was doing it. And it became the number one staple. You know, it's, it's something to it's something to say about those enslaved. They had that skill set. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, 
So I feel like I just, yeah, I need a second. <laughs> I think just to go from that into being like, what, Al, what are you interested in now? <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah. just that kind of st- the the weight of those stories. It, they need space. I yeah. think a mm. lot of times. So, I think the pauses is real though. The pauses are real. You know, as Amy takes a takes a second thought to 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 compress the story, and you know, I, I think that's real. You know, I mean, I think it's it's uh, a real story from someone like yourselves that you know you're you didn't have the ancestry of enslaved you know and so to now think about what happened 100 years ago 200 years ago that's a real story you know and so that's almost like if we all sat down in the movie theater to watch a movie and someone out of us three got a little teary-eyed that's a real emotion you know that's a real Mm -hmm. feeling you know to see Mm -hmm. how these people were treated less than and and still uh yeah, that's that's a real that's a real emotion, you know. There's no story we're padding. We're not padding this story up to 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 mm-hmm. to ooh and all the viewers. It's mm-hmm. the real deal. Mm-hmm. This is the real uncut. Mm-hmm. This is the real uncut. You know. I just, I mean, once again, like you, like I was saying earlier, I just think that like that resilience just to go through all of that for generations, and then yeah. you know, it's just like there's still just these things of incredible beauty just coming out from those yeah. experiences and everything. It's mm-hmm. just so moving. Um, mm-hmm. I just really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us about all this. Cause it's just, I mean, it's heavy, but yeah. it's so, uh, yeah, it's just a, so important. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. You know, as you say that, Brian, I also think of today's society, of uh, where we at today as a people, what happened over the summer uh, during COVID in different cities and, and the, the, the outlash of, of uh, violent protests and the outlash of uh, standoffs and the outlash of, you know, this, that, and the third. And for those that don't really understand, you know, all this outlashing and, 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 and uh, I'm tired of it scenarios and being treated unjust scenarios it also goes back you know of of hundreds and hundreds of years of totally being treated less than and so that's is my way of uh it's my way of you know breaking down just what our country is going through in its own way based off of riots and 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 destruction and 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 it's almost a way of my understanding um i've never went to a protest i'd never plan on it but just speaking on how you said how we just processing things has happened for so long, I immediately took on the vision of the processing for the country of the oppressed for so long is what I was visualizing. As you was making that statement, I visualized our country and how the oppressed still being oppressed by the oppressors. They're now being, you know, pushed back on, you know, that pushback, um, is, is, is an interesting way of doing. Of course, I don't recommend tearing those cities up, or hurting anyone, but after a while, you have to you have to get the attention of those that don't think it's a problem. You know, it's been ho- it's been going on for so long. You know, it's been going on for so long. It's it's it's, it's almost you're normal. You're used to it. You're numb to it. But then when you realize, oh, hold on, this 
this group of people, are, they, they're talking about something. What, what the heck are they saying? You know, what are they really saying to us right now? And so it opened the eyes. I know we're totally off topic, but it opened the eyes of what has been going on for so long and put right there in front of us and act like it's not a big deal. NASCAR took down the rebel flag and it's now prohibited from being on property during a race. And, and, and that right there is an eye opener that actually happened after the, the, uh, the summer riots, you know? So it's almost like certain things are happening and it's actually being heard based off of the pain, you know, the pain and, and the hurt of this, of this group of people. They're saying, you know, that is, that's so painful to me. Can you please, can you please stop doing that? You know, and if you care for any people, when you hear a person cry out, then you want to actually hear why they're crying. You want to hear why, why they're talking about this topic continuously. Let me, let me sit back and see what's really being said. Um, so as you've seen moving forward, how different groups were, were acknowledging the pain of the Afro-American race, you know, and saying, you know what? I understand that. I understand your pain. I, I mean, who wouldn't understand a Jew saying they don't want to see the Nazi flag? Who wouldn't understand that? I mean, it's the mm -hmm. same scenario. Out of the love for your neighbor, you would take the flag down, or unless you're just a person of hate, you know, mm -hmm. then, then you then you have to, you know, go another means on communicating with your neighbor. But out of the pain, you just wouldn't do it because you don't want to hurt a human. You know, you, why, why go out of the way to hurt humans for no reason? And so mm -hmm. um, I use that analogy because that, you know, as that flag is coming down, the Confederate flag is coming down worldwide, nationwide. It's a uh, it, it goes back to the same. I know I'm off topic, but it goes back to the statement how you said how we prolong for so long that that agony, you know, that human pain, that that, you know, the resilience generational is what you said. And so um, let's get back on topic. I just I, I, I totally segue off of that one. But I I felt that I just want to talk about that just now. That might be an editing. That might be an editing right there, baby. <laughs> <laughs> totally off topic. That's, a, that's the next. That's the next phone call, huh? That's the next phone call. Well, I yeah. mean, honestly, yeah. Corey, I think like ha it would be silly to not talk about that in light of what Gullah culture is and sweet grass hey, baskets. That's, that's, it, what's I mean, up. that's what's it's up. all. Yeah. It's wrapped up all together. It's all together. It, yeah. There's a tremendous, yeah. tremendous amount of ancestral trauma yeah. and current trauma. And those things that, that are yeah. compounding, they have to yeah. be solved with unity and love. And that is, yeah. I mean, that's what I believe. And yeah. that doesn't mean just dismiss someone's pain and trauma. You can't, you can't, um, you can't heal someone outside of yourself, uh -huh. but you can listen to someone who's, who's saying, you know, you're stepping on my toes. <laughs> yeah. Stop stepping yeah. on my toes, you know? Yeah. And, and out of love for them as a human, you, yeah. you would, you would stop stepping on them because as you, you, you know, you don't want to go out your way to hurt your neighbor, you know? No. Um, no. Yeah. But I appreciate you understanding my, my, my little off topic topic. <laughs> I mean, but it, but it is, it is, it is collectively a part of my upcoming, you know, it's a part of, yeah. you know, yeah. my culture yeah. It's a part of, you know, enslavement It's a part of 
where we are today in the 21st century, you know? And so, it, mm -hmm. you know, it felt like you didn't ask me the question, but um, if that was a question that I, that you would have asked, that's the way I would answer it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. You know, what's funny, you know, what's funny when I was writing the questions, I actually forgot to put this in, but I thought earlier, I was like, is there, I was going to write a question that said, is there a question you want us to ask? that we haven't asked and you just answered well, that question. There you go, Amy. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And, and, and it couldn't come out more honest. I mean, I, I just, I just gave it to you, you know, straight uncut, you know, you know, but um, that was about, that's right. about as honest of a question that I think needs to be, you know, understood, needs to be spoken about. Um, and, and we're moving forward. We're not going to continue dancing this dance. You know what I mean? Once, right. once yeah. we done said that, I, I would doubt to see, NASCAR put the flag back up as the NASCAR alma mater. You know what I mean? I, I don't ever see yeah. them allowing it after they see so much pain. And NASCAR isn't the only one that did it. There's other huge venues that did that. Um, but mm -hmm. but in, in the in the in the light of speaking of Charleston, let's bring it back home to Charleston. In the light of what Dylan Roof did to the Charleston Nine, and he and during that massacre, as he killed all nine at the Bible study. The flag he put up was that same flag that's no longer allowed at NASCAR. I mean, that mm -hmm. speaks volumes. That means that people are listening. People are are realizing that you're you're you're, you're hurting you're hurting people, and you're still using this one Pacific flag to say we did it under the unity of this stars and bars. So, mm -hmm. uh, moving forward, that 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 would have been the question I would want to talk about. Yeah. Mm, that that's mm -hmm. that's awesome right there <laughs> yeah that's amazing Jeez. yeah buddy. yeah yeah it's important it's important yeah so Corey, i yes. know that you're a photographer also but uh -huh. is there anything else that you're interested in and this can be anything um so what you may not know about me is uh well i'm i'm a family man first i'm a man of god um uh, God is huge in my life. Um, mm -hmm. With that being said, I will segue into being married. Uh, I'm going on my 20th year of marriage now. My wife and oh, I, uh, we haven't hit 40 yet, but, you know, uh, <laughs> we, we, we got we got 20 years of marriage. Uh, I'm proud to say out of my 20 years, I've never slept on a couch. In my 20 <laughs> years, I, I've, no, I'm being, I'm being so, I'm transparent right here. I'm being so honest. Awesome. In my 20 years of being married to the same woman, I've never slept out the house as far as being mad. You know, you hear a lot of people being married forever and they say, well, how many years were y'all separated? Nah, 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 nah. So out of honoring those <laughs> vows, you know, I can honestly say I raised my two daughters here in my home. Woke up every morning. Some mornings I fix some breakfast. Some mornings they do cereal. But I've been. I'm honored to say, my uh, my whole adult life. You know, I've been married to the same woman. We both raised our daughters, and you know, we have great kids. Um, one in college, one in eighth grade. Due to COVID, both of them doing virtual schooling. Mm -hmm. But that's something that the people don't know about Corey, the basket weaver. Another topic that people don't know is I'm an extreme collector. I've been collecting since, you know, I've been a teenager. I like odds and ends of unique things. Um, and so I've been a collector. Um, but most and most important about me is uh, my faith and my relationship with my wife and kids. 
Yeah. That's so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh. What what do you collect? So I always I've i collect old coins and so I'm a major oh, cool. Indian head penny collector. Um and so the Indian heads has always been a fascination to me. And so I have some very high end uh, coins. Um, mm -hmm. I've also been a watch collector since old enough yeah. to being able to tell time. I have a huge collection of, of watches and then also I collect guns. And so uh, yeah. being in South Carolina, we have an extreme lenient gun law. And I, uh, mm -hmm. I enjoy my Second Amendment. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoy it to the, to the fullest. Fair enough. <laughs> so I have three. I have three major collections, and um, and those are my my uh, time away from you know if I want to go and just spend time looking at the coins or doing research on the new mint mark on mint marks or eras or whatnot. That's actually mm -hmm. uh, something I enjoy. And and actually, a guy on Instagram reached out to me. He's a watchmaker of California. He makes the watches. And so uh, oh. him and I are going to do a collabo. He wants a piece of my sweet grass weaving, and he's going to make me a one of hand turned watch. And I'm super what? excited about Whoa. that. Watches, that's watches. Awesome. Yeah, that's, so if you uh, anybody follows any uh, Instagram, uh, he, he is a uh, peacemaker thirty eight. This brother, he does watch. He makes watches out of old gun parts. And so he has both of my loves in one. You know, I, I'm a gun collector and I'm a watch wow. collector. He turns these watches into, I'm sorry, he turns these, he makes the watches out of old gun parts. So out of old revolvers, it's badass. I mean, I, I just, you know, wow. but he reached out to me because he sees my work here on this coast. He's on uh -huh. the West Coast. And he said, Corey, you know, we got to figure this thing out. But uh, <laughs> so I'm awesome. going to do so some, cool. we're going to do some bartering. We're going to take it back to the 1800s and do some bartering. <laughs> and so uh, we're trading uh, one of his high end watches for one of my super elaborate baskets. And so I'm stoked gotta, about that. You got to get him to throw a coin in there for you somehow. Oh man, I, I, I'm, <laughs> we're, we're going to figure it out, man. I, I just love the idea that he hand cuts all the watches, you know, himself and his factory, yeah. you know, he's, 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 he's badass, you know? And so, um, but of uh, Peacemaker38. And so uh, check that Instagram out for anyone that loves watches yeah. as much as I do. I love watches. Yeah. And uh, anybody listening want to do some bartering, y'all reach out to me. Yeah, I'm, cool. a, I'm, a, I'm a barterer. I love bartering. Yeah. Probably Very get some cool. emails from me and Amy in a little bit. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. As you know, I'm, I'm Mr. Sweetgrass. So if you want something one of a kind, I'll make it for you. You know, and uh, and uh, I love some. Oh, I've done a ton of, you know, if you talk about bartering, I've done a ton of trading on Instagram based off of different skill set. So there's a guy, mm -hmm. he makes uh, handmade knives. And so he made mm -hmm. me a whole knife set. And uh, one of the knives that I really love the most is an oyster knife. And Brian, you oh, know about man. those oysters here in Carolina, you know, so uh, oh, do we're I. still in oyster season. And so his oyster shucking knife is probably one of the best oyster knives that I've ever had. But uh, I do a ton That's of trading. Awesome. I trade like nobody's business. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love That's it. That's awesome. Hey. Cool. Uh, well, actually, Amy, this perfectly leads into the last question. <laughs> yeah, right. So if someone wants to see more of your work, where can they find you? I've enjoyed using Instagram to help me segue into Facebook. So I have more followers on mm -hmm. Facebook. And that Facebook name is uh, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y space a l s t o n 
Gullah Sweetgrass Baskets. And so that's G-U-L-L-A-H, Sweetgrass, as one word. And so that page is a fan page based off of um, people that choose to follow my work. A little bit over 5,000 followers. I'm blessed to have those people that wants to watch everything that I make or do or say. And so that's a major blessing. And Instagram, uh, I think I just hit about 4,000 followers on that. And so um, oh, nice. that's been a fun page. Uh, I think that's Corey underscore Austin underscore Sweetgrass. And so uh, cool. usually people tell me they've seen me on different TV networks based on the colors of my shirt. It's the craziest thing. It's like, well, Corey, we've seen you with the red shirt on. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, you see me on Samantha Brown. All right, that's cool. Well, Corey, you had the gray shirt on. Okay, you see me with Black Tomato, you know, a company that came in from England. They filmed the whole three-day show, you know. Oh, Corey, you had your blue shirt on. I said, all right, cool. That was a garden gun, you know. And so my wife actually <laughs> joked with me, you know, by saying, do you realize you wear these shirts and people recognize you by your shirt color? I said, no. But now you brought it to my attention. I keep it up. You know, I think it was kind of cool as people know me and I don't know them. And so I'm just very blessed to have these people that follow my career. You know, um, it's definitely a blessing. I, I want to make sure I, I, I say that enough. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Corey, thank you. I, it goes yeah, without man. saying thank you for the time. Thank you for your yeah. honesty. Yeah. yeah. And, all of that. It was such a great conversation. We really appreciate having you on the show. Yeah, I appreciate y'all reaching out. And oh, the last way of contacting me, I my phone number is public. So you can text me at 843-442-1855 or email me direct at Corey.Alston at Comcast.net. That is C-O-R-E-Y dot A-L-S-T-O-N at comcast.net feel free to reach out to me i love questions so uh run some questions by me and if you're trading hit me up if you're bothering hit me up (laughs) yeah yeah i love it all right thanks corey yeah Yeah, buddy thank y'all thank y'all for reaching out Mm -hmm. i'm glad we was able to do this and uh if you ever want to do it again i'm on board for it right on okay great quick announcement um we are still missing about half of our patrons addresses or I guess I shouldn't say missing because we didn't misplace them, but we we haven't received them, and we need to. We would like to send you your um, your goodies um, or your rewards for being a patron. So if you could please send us your address, um, preferably on Patreon, that would be amazing. Thank you. Well, um, next up we have an interview with furniture maker and cabinet maker Nancy Hiller. And to give you a preview of that conversation, here is a brief clip. The best thing of all is this primal thing that first attracted me to it at the beginning. And that is this, there is a wonder and a magic about being able to come up with an idea in your head and turn it into three-dimensional reality. Mm. I mean, there's just a magic me it's like being a wizard it's like waving a magic wand (laughs) except that there's a lot of labor that goes into the waving of the magic wand yeah (laughs) okay amy let's get down to business who won the giveaway alexis hartman did yay Yay! (laughs) thank you alexis (laughs) yeah we're so happy 
Um, so we sent out all the goodies, and I'm sure she's writing her life story in walnut ink as we speak. <laughs> uh, we also have stickers up on our web store, which are amazing. Thanks, Crowing Hens Bindery, for your design work and help in getting that going. Yes, I can't yeah. even really comprehend how you did it, Mary, yeah. of Crowing Hens Bindery. Right. Um, even though you have the process pictures on your Instagram I still don't get how you did it. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's t- it's <laughs> such a cool sticker. So It's so cool. <laughs> a free way to support us is to rate and review the show, and please subscribe while you're at it. Yes, and thank you to everyone who has taken the time to rate us, whether by clicking the little stars or adding an actual word review, <laughs> or a review with words in it. <laughs> uh, the feedback is very much appreciated. Thanks for your support on Patreon. It helps pay for our website, hosting the audio, all the recording equipment and other bills, and more support means making the show a more sustainable endeavor. Also, as many of you know, we've committed 15% of our donated income to putting money towards craft scholarships. So on that note, thank you, Dean, Bill, and Shannon, Florence, David, Anna, and Nicole for either donating to us through our website or signing up for a Patreon account. Uh, We really, really, really appreciate it. We also, um, I mean, aside from the stickers, we have some other benefits listed for the different tiers. At the very least, you get a postcard with a handwritten thank you. (laughs) And so there's, um, yeah, so there's that incentive as well. Though, of course, we know and are grateful for the support regardless. (laughs) You can follow us on Instagram at Cut the Craft Podcast to see images of our guesswork and stay up to date on happenings and releases. And you can find us both on Instagram at Amy underscore Umble and at BH Bidler. And pretty soon you'll be able to find me at Waffle House with Corey Alston. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But uh, yeah, thank you so much to our sponsors, John C. Campbell Folk School in North Carolina, North House Folk School in Minnesota, and the Oak Spring Garden Foundation in Virginia, all of whom play a huge part in keeping handcraft alive and thriving. And of course, thank you to Brad Vetter for your graphic design, to the High Divers and Luke Mitchell of the High Divers for your music and help with production. And then thank you to Justin Williams for writing those little tidbits that introduce each guest. So we hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Thanks. See you next time. Mm